You are listening to episode 15 of the Addiction Support Podcast. Hi, Oak Creek Wellness family. Welcome to Addiction Support Podcast, where I talk with inspiring people who share their knowledge and experience of addiction and what's working for them. This is addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. I'm your host, Melissa Sue Tucker. I just want to take a moment and thank you for taking your time and listening to the podcast. It's really exciting. I've had over 2,000 people download so far. So I really, you know, if you guys are the reason I'm doing this, and if you weren't listening and you weren't continuing to share with your friends and your family, then I wouldn't have any reason to keep doing this. But I love creating this podcast for you. And, um, I just wanted to say thank you and share that with you. My guest this week is a rock star. You guys, she has one of, if not the largest landscaping companies in the Phoenix Valley. She's a phenomenal woman. She's done a lot of work on how to, for women to speak effectively to men, which has been, you know, a lifesaver for me on certain areas. Some of her advice that she's given me has been really great. She's also a natural networker. She, uh, she actually said that she had somebody reach out to her and ask if she had a clown in her phone and she had two of them to refer to them. So she's a wealth of knowledge and resources when it comes to connecting with other people. The other thing is she is such a giver and has such a huge heart. When she found out what I was doing, she immediately was gave me, I think, somewhere between five and 10 names that she felt like I needed to connect with. And she's so right. Um, I'm interviewing somebody tomorrow. You guys get to hear that she connected me with. So I'm really excited about that. And the interesting thing is she's you know, had her own addiction that she's dealt with, with both. You'll hear her talk about alcohol and cocaine. So it's just really important to me to share these messages. So here's the deal. When somebody does something that's illegal or crosses a boundary or is hurtful, no, that's not okay. We don't say it's totally okay. You have addiction. Treat us like that. But we don't throw people away. We keep loving them. We love them into their greatness. We give them, you know, advice or the support that they need or just sit there with them when they're in their heartbreak because they're you know they can come out on the other side and they can do amazing things and they can impact so many people's lives so I'm excited to share Donna with you today a couple things that she talks about is the difference between being detached attached and unattached and unattached comes from love the other thing that she spoke about that I wrote down, I just thought was impactful, was when you enable, you are actually disabling someone. So she goes into that more. I thought it was phenomenal. There's no such thing as enable, it's disable. She also talked to me about a couple books that she thought were really impactful. I don't think it's on the podcast, but I'm going to share them with you anyway. It's Think and Grow Rich for Women. So if you're a woman and you would like to build your own business, that was a book that she really recommended. Also, the compound effect. Um, That one, you know, obviously isn't specifically for women. So anybody might get something out of that. The compound effect. Both of those are available on Audible. So if you don't already have an Audible account, you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash addiction support podcast 
and you can get one of those books for free. It's a free 30-day trial and a free book. So the cool thing about that is if you get through your 30 days and you don't want to keep your, your Audible account, you can keep that book. So I highly recommend that. One more thing before we get started, I just want to think, is it enough? Is it enough? Thank you so much for your review on iTunes. That is going to help other people find us, and I really appreciate that. Guys, I know that's not easy, but it makes a big, big difference. So please go ahead, enjoy the podcast with Donna. I will let you know we were sitting outside at a beautiful cafe here in Phoenix. It was gorgeous outside. So you might hear some birds or some waiters in the background. Please go ahead and just uh, disregard that and listen to what she has to share. I hope you get a lot out of it. Thank you. Encouraging, inspirational, and life-changing content that makes a difference. Created specifically for you by oakcreekwellness.com. All right. I am sitting here outside. It's actually really beautiful today with Donna, and she's going to be sharing her journey and story about how addiction has touched her life today. I really appreciate you for taking the time and being on the podcast today. Glad to be here and glad to share. So if you don't mind, share with us how addiction has impacted your life. Oh, my gosh. Well, I started um, as a teenager. I didn't feel very popular, and I didn't feel very pretty, and I was kind of the um, teacher's pet. I was a good student and came from a pretty strict family, so I was kind of the dork. And the first time that I actually went out to a party, got invited, I don't know how that ever happened, um, and drank. I liked how I felt. You know, it gave me confidence and it made me feel like I was funnier and I came out of my shell and I liked who I was when I drank. And so it just kind of started down that path. It wasn't um, all the time. However, when I would go out and socialize, that was kind of my go-to. If I wasn't with my little clique of best friends and I wanted to be out amongst strangers or new people, you know, I drank so that I could feel more comfortable with it. And um, later, when I ended up getting pregnant as a senior in high school, I didn't drink. I didn't do anything for, you know, several years when I had my daughter. And then when my daughter was two and a half years old, um, I had had a horrible fear that something awful was going to happen to her. And I ended up going for counseling and was guided into the decision to give her up for adoption. So she was two and a half years old when I did that. And at that particular point, I felt so inadequate. It was like, if I couldn't be a mother, then what was I? You know, I was no good at anything. And I drank with a purpose at that point because I didn't want to remember. I didn't want to think about it. I moved out of state and... Just went down the path of a lot of drinking and got involved in drugs. It was when cocaine was very popular, and that was the whole lifestyle. And I basically did the drugs so that I could just drink more. And um, that went on until I was 30 years old. And when I was 30, I had been waking up repeatedly crying. And I cried because I woke up. And I didn't have the courage to kill myself because what would people think? You know, so there's uh, some of us in um, <clears throat> personal development understand the whole looking good program. So it's like I don't trash that all the time. 
I think for once my looking good program saved me <laughs> because I was so worried about what people would think if I killed myself. But I used to actually pray that maybe somebody would cross the center line when I was driving on the highway or something. And so I did what a lot of addicts and alcoholics will do. I decided, well, if I change my environment, it'll get better. So I moved back to Phoenix and lo and behold, I immediately found the same people, just in a different location, and got really heavy into um, cocaine and um, methamphetamine and drinking, although I was very productive. I never missed work and, you know, held a great job, got um, paid very, very well, however, I had nothing to show for it. You know, all my money was going either up my nose or to buy clothes because I didn't have time to do laundry because I was out partying so late. And it was just a ridiculous cycle. And I finally got to the point where I wanted to die so badly. And I remember being in a bar and couldn't get a hold of my dealer. And I felt panic. And there was a moment right then and there when I just said, something's got to change. I'm too afraid to live. And I'm too afraid to kill myself. So this middle path here sucks. So I drove myself to um, St. Luke's and checked myself in. And that was in 1987. Yeah. And, I mean, it was a struggle for a lot of years. Um, <clears throat> because after I got sober and... It had been just about, I, I was just shy of a year sober when my father unexpectedly passed away. So I went back to deal with that, and when I came home, something had changed, and I couldn't quite figure out what had changed. And I remember sitting outside, this was months, a few months after he had passed away, and I started having memories, because I had had no memories of my early childhood at all. And I started having these kind of flashback memories and I remembered all of the sexual abuse from my father from the time I was about four till I was 10 and which you know after going through therapy for years you know I was finally you know it's like why do I need to remember this now he's dead so what am I going to do with this information you know and it was basically safe for me to be able to remember and after years of therapy and looking back, I mean, that was a lot of what drove my drinking and drove my addiction to not remember stuff and why I didn't feel good about myself and why I had such a distorted view on sex and love and affection. And, you know, it was just a big blur to me. So I did a lot of therapy, you know, and I'd been in... Um, AA for years, and that was absolutely the best start for me. You know, I needed, I entrenched myself, and I made a whole group of friends, and we followed the rules. There was no dating or any of that kind of stuff, and we were a group that did everything together. And then I did um, quite a bit of therapy just to get over the whole incest issues. And, you know, I met my husband at the time in AA, which, you know, to this day, I'm still very, very grateful for, even though we're divorced now. But I don't know. I was going through it. I think what has helped me the most out of all of it are two things. Um, my spiritual practice, I'm Buddhist, so that has helped me immensely to get more grounded. 
And that's my go-to today. When I get really, really stressed and get to a point where I just feel like I can't function anymore, I go meditate. That's my, instead of picking up a drink or doing drugs or something like that, that's, that'll be my go-to. And then the other thing is the personal growth that I've been involved in for the last several years to help me have confidence, to help me have faith, to see positive and to see that there's a lot of good out there and to understand that what I think about is what's going to come about. And I choose not to think about the negative and, you know, my perception of, you know, God, if you will, is the most important thing for me is that I'm not it. You know, so there's something I don't, I'm not smart enough to know exactly what that would look like or anything. I just know that I'm not it. And if I can turn it over and have faith on a day-to-day basis, whether it has to do with work or relationships or my own personal being, you know, that has saved me so much. You know, so. Thank you. We were talking earlier about, and I was sharing how, with my brother, I'm either able to attach and I really want to support him and take care of him, or I'm able to just detach and shut down and not feel anything. And you brought up unattached. I was wondering if you could go into that again, because I think that was beautiful. Sure. I've learned that through my um, Buddhist practice, that the middle path there is to be unattached. And it, it stems from the whole belief that nothing is permanent. Everything's impermanent. So getting attached to something is kind of ridiculous. You know, I mean, I'm not the same person I was when we started this conversation, simply because of the, you know, millions of cells that, you know, slough off your body or whatever it is they do. (laughs) (laughs) And having this conversation, getting to know you and the things that, you know, we really, I'm a different person than when I showed up here. So becoming attached to anything is really kind of a waste, you know, and being detached is how I was brought up. I had a mother that was very easily, you know, She could shut people off if you didn't behave a certain way or if there was something she couldn't deal with or cope with, then you you didn't exist anymore. And so the detaching came from, you know, the fear, the anger, and all of the hate behind it or disapproval, whatever you want to call it. And the attachment side comes from ego. We think we can control something. We think we can fix it. And I've learned through my practice that being unattached is totally different because you can still love, you can still care, you can still aid when you're possible, you know, when it's possible and have compassion, but not be attached to the outcome and not want to take credit for the outcome and also not take credit if something goes wrong, you know, and if you are going to take credit for something good, then you've also got to take the credit when things go bad. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about enabling. Oh, <laughs> I don't like that word anymore. <laughs> I I prefer disabling. You know, um, most of in my life, you know, when people, quote unquote, enabled me, it ended up hurting me. You know, it set me up for future failures. Um, it made me feel like there weren't consequences. And then all of a sudden, when you have to deal with reality, you're not prepared. And I know that a lot of, quote-unquote, enabling comes from a place of caring and loving and wanting to help. However, what it really does is disable a person from, you know, I look back, I have no regrets today. Everything that's happened in my life has happened for a reason and a purpose. And if I can remember that, you know, I'm good. 
And I needed to fail sometimes. And I needed to have some heartache. And I needed to have some consequences. It all made me who I am today. And I think about even with, you know, the sexual abuse, if I hadn't been abused, perhaps I wouldn't have had the lack of confidence and I wouldn't have been so promiscuous and I wouldn't have gotten pregnant. I wouldn't have my daughter who, by the way, she and I reconnected when she was 19. And today I have six grandkids, you know, so if, you know, point A hadn't started, you know, I wouldn't be where I am and I wouldn't have my grandkids. So it's under, it goes back again to, you know, when you want to enable somebody or do something to help them, it's that you have to be unattached. You know, loving and caring is a lot different than giving somebody tools that could injure themselves or prevent them from growing. So I would, when I look at you and I look at everything that you've accomplished, I would call you a very successful person. Do you consider yourself to be successful? You're a business owner, you have family, you have friends. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't trade a lot. You know, I'm looking at a different stage of my life. I'm, you know, just turned 59 a few years ago, or a few weeks ago. And thank you. (laughs) And I just, I wouldn't trade anything. I feel very, very blessed and very, I have an immense um, appreciation for everything in my life. My business is successful. I have great friends. I have community involvement. I, you know, do volunteer work. My family is absolutely amazing. I've been able to reconnect with my sister and I have nieces and I just, yeah, I'm definitely successful. And I attribute a lot of that to the whole recovery process, you know, AA. And, you know, even though I don't attend anymore, but that was the foundation. That's where I got started and forever grateful. Would you recommend that people, if they're looking for something that they start there? Um, A 12-step program, yes. Um, I I would say it's a lot gentler, and sometimes there's a lot of confusion around um, the spiritual. uh, Those of us that drink and do a lot of drugs sometimes lose contact with any kind of spiritual base. And so to just try and do that on its own can sometimes be a little bit difficult and there's not always the people in a congregation or you know church environment that understand and can help so i think starting out 12-step program is awesome it's just a it's kind of baby steps you know do this then do that because when you're coming out of that fog you know you don't have a lot of direction and you really don't know where to get started so and then you touched on personal growth what are Do you have any tips or tricks or tools that you've picked up along the way that you could share, either for somebody that's in recovery or dealing with addiction themselves or a family member? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just a huge proponent of positivity. Um, I don't watch TV. That's a personal choice. Um, I don't read a lot of the news and... Because a lot of times I think we get caught up in everything that's wrong and bad in the world and... Yeah, it's enough to drive you to drink, (laughs) you know, literally. And so being positive and, you know, my car, I'm constantly listening to some speaker talking about, you know, what we think is, you know, what we're going to create and about improving ourselves, getting better each day. If I can get a little bit better each day, I'm going to be pretty freaking awesome by the time I die when I'm 108 because that's my plan. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I think personal development is, you know, just to give us the faith in ourselves and, and to help restore our confidence. Because especially um, coming out of addiction, um, you don't usually feel too good about yourself. So you have a lot of rebuilding to do. And personal development and some sort of spiritual practice, whether that's, you know, believing in a doorknob, being Christian, being Buddhist, or whatever it is, just believing in something outside yourself is hugely helpful. And, and same with families, you know, that are surrounded because it's disheartening to watch somebody that you love do something. And I look back at it now because I've, I've encountered people that I absolutely love and adore that have had addiction issues and being the person standing there watching, how can this incredibly smart, beautiful, funny, adorable person be making these decisions, you know, and having a good concrete spiritual practice and the, the personal development that I've done, it's allowed me to take my hands off the results. I can still wrap my arms around them and love them and hug them and but the outcome is not my responsibility, it's theirs. And so you need to reinforce yourself as much as you possibly can. Do you have anything else that you want to share? Anything on your heart? No, I pray all the time for anybody that's dealing with addiction. Um, and I, I no longer get involved in the debate about whether it's, you know, a mental issue, whether it's a physical issue or whatever. I believe that we all have the tendency to grasp something when we're struggling. And for me, even after I got sober, I started working all the time. That was my go-to. I'd go hide there. And then when I didn't do that for a while, I was obsessed with running and working out and, you know, anything. It's coping. You know, anything to an extreme can be too much. And for me, I've got new coping mechanisms. Like I said, my go-to now is meditation. I don't, my day starts out every day with the prayer my teacher taught me, which is, may I bring more light and more happiness into my life and the lives of others, you know, and that's the first thing I do before I get out of bed. And then I do my meditation every single day. When I get really, really stressed, I do the meditation. So as far as addiction goes, I think it's just a coping mechanism. And until we find something that's healthy, as a substitute, you know, we're, we're just, we can be a victim again. I want to take that into schools, teach, teach teachers and teach kids how to embrace their emotions and be okay with them and find healthy ways to mm-hmm. deal with them. I think that would be really cool. Oh yeah. And it's so important. And that's something that I've learned probably in the last, I'm going to say six years or so. Um, none of my emotions are bad. You know, but trying to hide them or stuff them or deny them or pretend like they don't exist doesn't do us any good. It just causes more damage. So sometimes, you know, I just have to sit and say, you know what? I feel like shit. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And just be there for a few minutes and give myself, you know, a time limit. And there are times when if I'm really, really sad and I need to cry and I'm tired and frustrated and all those things... I'll actually set an alarm on my phone and just sit there and quiet and go ahead and cry and feel crappy and or be mad and think about all of that. And then when the alarm goes off, it's like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Now it's time to move on. 
And there's crazy power in feeling that too. When you yes. feel it fully. Oh yeah. It's incredible because I know that for, well, obviously, you know, stuffing all of the, you know, incest issues and everything for so many years and then trying to stuff all how I felt about myself because as a young woman and not good enough. And then as a failure, as a mother, as I saw myself, just trying to stuff all of that and hide, you know, drugs and alcohol were something that worked for me. And now I found other ways to do it, you know, where I, I don't have to hide anymore. I have different coping mechanisms. Anything else? No, I think that's all. That was wonderful. Thank you for being vulnerable and for sharing. I know that you're going to impact some people that may not even remember some of the issues that they've had, and they're going to want to take that and go explore that and maybe go get some therapy around it too. So thank you. You are so welcome, and I really, really appreciate what you're doing. I think the word needs to get out. So I hope everybody will share the podcast. Yes, please share it. Thank you. I hope that you guys enjoyed that and got some inspiration out of it. Um, if you want to see the show notes, come on back to addictionsupportpodcast.com forward slash episode 15. And please share. Help me get the word out. I love you. I have some exciting interviews coming up for you guys over the next few months. So I hope that you're enjoying them. As always, I see you surrounded with light and love. And I appreciate you so much. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to the Addiction Support Podcast. Addiction support for family and friends from people who've been there. www.addictionsupportpodcast.com.